Welcome to the UX of EdTech podcast, an exploration of user experience in the EdTech space. I'm your host, Alicia Kwan, and I look forward to learning with you today. Today, I have three guests with me from the Adobe for Education product team, representing UX design, design management, and product management. And I want to briefly invite each person to just tell us a little bit more about their path that led them into their their current work um, in education at Adobe. And so I'd love to start with Uriel Zarate, user experience designer for education at Adobe. So Uriel, can you briefly describe just your path to becoming a designer at Adobe and maybe also any obstacles you've faced so far kind of along that path and and what made you interested in this role that was specifically in education? Yeah, I'll, I'll start off with um, just some, some quick background on uh, what I was interested for my um, for my senior thesis. So I went to uh, California College of the Arts and got my bachelor's in interaction design. And so for my thesis, I actually went and tried to create a community for students who um, are part of Title I schools who usually are affected by gang violence. And um, I tried to go in and create a community for them um, in their school. And that actually went really well. I got invited back to start a um, after-school program. And then one thing led to another. I ended up teaching math, um, math and English, intro to programming and intro to design. And then... Um, you know, made made the switch from I had gotten my uh, bachelor's in interaction design, and so I was actively looking for um, experience design jobs, and made the switch um, <clears throat> shortly after. As so I was like two years in, um, so you know, went on with my career for, as an experience designer, and then a couple of years in, I um, kind of kept that community aspect going by um, starting this uh, group called Holgorio de Diseño. It's a meetup for Latino and Latina, um, Latinas in tech. And so we have uh, monthly meetups where uh, we get um, Latinos to come in, come on stage and share their story, share their struggles. And it just so happened that um, Lexi had was attending one of those. And so that's actually where I first connected with Lexi. Um, and then we had a partnership with Adobe, again, facilitated by Lexi, um, that you know, where, where Adobe hosted a uh, Holgorio, and that's where we connected again. Um, and it just so happened that at the time I was looking at other opportunities um, to, you know, kind of switch switch up my career, um, or sorry, my uh, um, the company that I was at. It ended up just I my teaching background and my design background kind of came together in in a really I, I would say in a pretty awesome way. And so it was just an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. Um, and that brings me to here now. That's awesome. Awesome. Perfect. And you mentioned Lexi and she's on the call today. Lexi Radisky is a design manager for education at Adobe and formerly um, lead UX designer there as well. Um, and I, I'm curious, Lexi, how did you find yourself working on an, an education product? And, you know, were you intentionally looking to work in this, this type of space? Sure, happy to jump in here. So my story is a little bit of a wandering one, but I'll try to keep it concise. Um, and I would invite any listeners who are interested in talking with me more uh, about my path to go ahead and reach out to me and we can talk at the end of our conversation about how to do that. But um, 
My story is that I am a first-generation college student. None of my family went to college, and so my college experience at a large public institution was really one of learning as I went. And I graduated with a degree in communications from UCLA without really knowing what design was. Um, I sort of had this notion that design was about creating invitations or business cards and resumes, and it, it can be about those things. Graphic design um, is a really impeccable talent, but I didn't quite understand other things that design could mean until I was three years into a career as a recruiter for nonprofits here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, when I completed sort of a, a side project for my recruiting agency uh, to redesign their website in partnership with a developer. And that was really the bug that bit me. I did a lot of side hustling and um, working extra jobs, took workshops on weekends until I committed myself to an alternate education path and did a, um, an immersion program, sometimes called a boot camp, uh, and really transitioned into design as a career. As far as why education, I think it comes back to the first part of my story. As a first-gen college student, I really could have used more support and I would have loved more opportunity to explore and express myself, um, not just in college, but I think even as a kid, you know, I, I was on KidPix, if anyone remembers that computer software, but I really didn't know what Photoshop was or any of the other um, digital creation tools that we have today. Uh, so that's what's brought me to education as my mission. And I really just seek to um, help other young people find their own creativity, tell their story and share their voice. Yeah. And then you you spent some time um, as a designer at Adobe and then you moved into a manager role. I'm curious about, you know, what do you find are the biggest differences between those? Gosh, I mean, everything and nothing at the same time. Um, I still help out on you know, creation of uh, mock-ups and decks when needed. But I do think there's um, a really nice part of leadership where we get to empower others to do their best work. Um, and so in working with Uriel, as well as other designers across Adobe, that's really something that means so much to me, to help someone else determine what makes them successful or really push on their creativity skills or on their storytelling skills. Um, and so that's really what I value most about leadership um, is helping others find their best self and their passion and creating these experiences at scale. As one person, I can only do so much, but if I am working with other people, there is really no limit to the, to the impact that we can have. So um, those are some of the key differences that stick out. And I'll be honest, I think I'm still learning some of them. I've been in uh, a leadership role for a little over eight months now. And so um, some of it is still coming to me. And it's, it's really been an exciting learning opportunity and stoked to keep growing. Awesome. Awesome. Very cool. And, and then we have a third person on the call. So Jenna James, she's senior product manager, formerly um, at Clever, um, and also formerly an English teacher and writing tutor, and of course now on the Adobe team. Um, Jenna, your formal education is in literature. I think you um, you have a, a BA in British and American literature, and you're an English teacher for several years. Can you describe for us how you moved into um, product management? Yeah, uh, although I will say that I think my um, my former literature major self would be a little bit disappointed at the, um, the progression of my grammar these days. But I, I studied English. I did Teach for America out of school. So I went and I taught middle school ELA 
for three years in Northern Florida. And it was amazing for all the reasons that teaching is amazing. I think I tell this to everybody, but I, I can't recommend time in the classroom enough. I, th- I just think it's such a valuable experience. But at the end of three years, I taught middle school. I actually rolled up with my students each year. And so at the end of three years, they went to high school. We all left the middle school building is how I like to think about it. And I wanted to stay connected to education, but in a way that um, felt more scalable and like I had a broader impact. So Lexi sort of talked about this too. So I started thinking about how do I do that? And education technology is something that was, was really interesting. I used technology in my classroom as a teacher, although not as as much as I reflect, um, or not as much as I wish I had actually reflecting on it now, better understanding the, the power of technology. But I moved out to San Francisco. I joined a company called Clever, which powers logins and some backend system to help it make it easier for applications to get roster data, things like that. And that was a a really, really eye-opening experience about sort of the breadth and depth of technology and education and how that's just increasing exponentially. And so that was really great. I joined in support. And so I started to get to know the product sort of from the user perspective, knee-deep in technical issues. And one of the interesting things for me, I think, was I never considered myself technical. I just didn't think that was a part of my brain. I was a very humanities-driven person. But once I started working in tech and in support, that technical problem-solving aspect of it was really fun and really new and exciting. And so I sort of pulled that thread um, when I looked at my career. And so then I joined a strategic partnership team helping partners learn how to integrate with the platform in ways that were not traditional. And then from there, I moved into an internal product management role. And um, and I've been in product management ever since. And so took on a few different roles at Clever. And then about two years ago, made the jump to Adobe. And so one of the things that I'm really loving about Adobe is the mission to bring creativity into the classroom. Clever is a great company and you make it really easy, but there was something missing for me around once you get students in technology, what do they actually do in it? And so I think Adobe sort of fits that, you know, that sweet spot of bringing students into creative applications, which is something I think I wish I had done more of when I was a a teacher myself. And, um, and so, yeah, I've been here about two years. I work really closely with Lexi and Uriel and yeah, loving it. Awesome. Yeah, I I definitely can agree. Um, And I was sharing this a little bit before we came on to record was um, when I was teaching, I one of the last things that I used was I think it was Adobe Spark to um, do an activity with students where they were, you know, designing web pages and sharing them with one another based on, you know, invertebrates that we were we were learning about in in science. And um, I definitely have, have noticed there's just this this strong, very much well-felt sense of creativity that, that comes out of Adobe and wanting to be um, like a partner to educators and to to teachers. And um, I I personally just felt really actually supported and like inspired um, by some of the, the content and some of the resources that were coming out a year ago in the spring. And so I definitely, yeah, I can resonate with what you're seeing about how there is this interesting sweet spot, it seems like, of combining technology 
and creativity in the classroom that's really, really inspiring and effective as well. You know, it was one of the most interactive um, activities that that we did that year, and it was in the the midst of a, a pandemic. So yeah, that's that's awesome. I want to dive more into the work that you guys are doing currently. So your team, you know, works to connect Adobe products and, um, to places where students and educators spend their time. So LMSs, Flipgrid is an example. Do you want to share any insights into how you approach this and? Um, how you actually do that? How do you draw that connection between products to the student and educator experience? Yeah, I can jump in here initially, and then I will certainly call on the expertise of Lexi and Uriel as well. Going, we consider it, or one of the ways that we talk about it internally is going to where students and teachers are. As adults who spend a lot of time in things like Microsoft Teams or Slack or our Google Suite I think we are innately reliant on how well these products work together. And that is even more important as you look at a student, a sixth grader or younger, a third grader, the ability to move between surfaces and be able to um, create something and bring it in and turn it into the teacher digitally. Those are all actually fairly complex technical skills that you need. And so The principle behind the work that we're doing is how can we simplify those processes? How can we provide pathways for a student or an educator to create or assign something creative without any of the overhead of thinking, how are they going to get to it? How are they going to log into it? How are they going to save it, turn it back in? What's the URL process? All of those things, even though small, when you look at them in silos, they, they add up so much. And for any educator in the classroom, just reflecting on my own experience, any moment of confusion or lack of clarity around directions, it's chaotic, <laughs> honestly. Um, and it's hard and it, it adds to an overall frustration of the product. And so we have been doing a lot of really hard work over the last couple of years to make sure that Spark in particular, and some and some other pieces of the Creative Cloud, that they're accessible to students and teachers in place that they're familiar with, that they work within the constructs of the systems that they have, like their grading systems, um, or how they actually view the work. How can we make that um, scalable for an educator versus downloading 30 plus assets to actually review? Great. I can tag in here too. So speaking from some of the experience side, uh, I just want to, I guess, underscore everything that Jenna just said. And when I think about it from the design angle, some of the ways that we really help ease those moments of potential confusion are yes, through some of the essentials, like making it easy to get into the tool, making it um, simple for students to connect. But it also comes down to, you know, if you're looking at Adobe Spark for the first time um, in your learning management system or in another place, what, what is this tool? And so that's where design can really help is by helping an educator understand what uh, Adobe's creative technology can help them and their students do. It can help tell stories. Yes, it can help convey ideas. Yes, and it can also really bolster learning outcomes like engagement um, and being able to apply information across different subjects. 
So some of the ways that we try to support that are through onboarding or just welcoming experiences. We also have crafted um, some templates that help an educator understand, all right, what could this tool possibly help me do in the types of assignments and classwork that I have my students take on? And that really helps them glide into the experience. And from there, the way that we think about it is it may be the first time or the first few times that those templates are useful. And then perhaps from there on out, maybe student creativity really runs wild and really just takes them to new spaces, new frontiers that even us at Adobe couldn't really imagine. And while they're doing that, our tools should support them in making them look and sound good um, and really help them build that creative confidence uh, along every step of the way until they're ready to kind of drop some of those guardrails and maybe move on to some of our more advanced tools. So those are some of the things that I think about with, um, with user experience. Some of the things that I think we're still um, keeping in the back of our minds right now or kind of making sure that we have groundwork for are aspects of classroom management and digital spaces, feedback and collaboration. How do we really help students bounce ideas off of one another? So those are some things that um, we're still kind of working through and pushing on. But um, that's where I would probably say that my lens comes from. And I'd love to hear, Uriel, if you have anything to add. Yeah, I guess I'll underscore Jenna and Lexi you're saying about uh, this idea of like seamlessness, right? I'll again say that when when a tool is not when a tool is not seamless in the classroom and you have, let's say, like 25 kids running around, uh, a, a small speed bump uh, becomes a really, really, really big wave um, that, you know, you have to take control of your classroom. You have to um, kind of get everyone to focus on the one thing. And so um, I think we have we're, we're approaching some of these problems with a lens of like empathy and just understanding that, you know, these if we don't create something that's not seamless um we we do run the risk of kind of derailing a, a whole a whole like class session and so um yeah that's i think the only thing i'll underscore yeah listeners can't see me but i'm like totally nodding my head like like crazy right now because exactly what you said you know a little bump becomes a, a giant waveform in terms of um how it can throw throw everything off and yeah it, it seems like there's a level of of risk there because if you say that your product is is ready for the classroom and a teacher goes through the the hurdles of actually trying it out and you know setting it up for their own class and actually you know quote unquote, going live with it and using precious class time to do it. And then it's, it's a bumpy ride, or it's, um, doesn't seem like it's going to work out. There's, there might be a chance that they don't return to it again, or that they don't want to persist through it and, and try again. And some do, some don't. Um, but yeah, definitely important um, that, that that's understood, I, I guess. And, and I think that it sounds like that's at, at the front of, of your mind is, is to figure out how can we make this seamless and smooth and, and easy on the teacher and just support them. And, you know, someone mentioned guardrails. Um, that, that makes a lot of sense as well. You know, you're just kind of slowly onboarding them and, and helping them to understand these are some of the things you can do and this is familiar and then kind of letting them go, you know, like you said, wild with their with their creativity and, and trying new things um, as they feel more comfortable. So, yeah, that definitely definitely resonates with me. Um, I know that the the hashtag Adobe Creative Edu and also the Educator Exchange, those were kind of the two places that teachers are spending time sharing ideas and work. And I know that that's how I got connected. I saw the hashtag on Twitter 
um, when I was spending even more time on on Twitter looking for ideas and things like that around April 2020 and March and April 2020. And um, I was just, yeah, really encouraged and inspired. And so um, for your perspective, how is design, do you feel, improving the UX of teachers trying to share content? They're trying to share lesson plans and and other materials through these mediums. Um, and do you want to unpack that a little bit? How's design improving that experience for teachers? Yeah, so we're we're actively looking. We're we're redesigning the education exchange platform, um, <clears throat> and we're we're doing so with the lens of teaching resources and content um, as the focal point. And so we. Like when when we're redesigning and we're we're designing these platforms, I think like some of the core things we're thinking about is how are teachers sharing their ideas that have worked for them in their classrooms with other teachers who are very similar to them. Um, you know, there's nothing like a battle-tested um, teaching resource that um, can be shared and adapted to your own classroom. Um, and I think like that's really highlighting that type of content is what we want to do. Absolutely. And I'm I'm going to say that I think that Uriel is being a little humble here when he says we're redesigning it. We actually just launched a big piece of it um, yesterday uh, or the day before. Sorry, it's been a long week, but it's definitely better than the last 48 hours. So when Uriel is talking about some of the redesign aspects, some of them are fresh and new and can be seen right now. So if listeners were to go to edx, E-D-E-X dot adobe dot com and look for a place where they can contribute a new resource. Um, a resource could consist of a lesson plan or an activity. Um, that flow is recently updated. We have one piece that's uh, getting slotted in over the next few weeks, but it's it's really been a, a big improvement um, to how educators share with other educators the ways that they've successfully leveraged creativity in the classroom. So. Um, yeah, Uriel, you, you nailed it on everything. I just want to make sure we're talking about the great work that you are leading. That's awesome. Congratulations. That's, yeah, that's really, really exciting. Um, that'll be really awesome. Even for me, I'm going to, I'm going to check it out and take a look. Um, that's, that's great. Um, I know that in the past, personally, I've typically related Adobe to graphic design work, you know, like Adobe Photoshop. Um, how do you make Adobe products applicable to other subjects outside of art um you know and how do you infuse creativity into all all types of classrooms and and i know that creativity is something that's you know close closely tied to your your overall mission and so maybe we could even even dive into that and start there is why why do you think it's important for for students to connect with creativity in the, in the first place and then i'd love to hear you know, how do you, you take that importance? How do you take that and then move it in, into the classroom and even in, into spaces that's not art, for example? I can start off by um, just, just sharing some of my, my personal experiences with art and creativity in general. Um, when I was teaching, I was, I was known as like the creative guy, the guy that was uh, the teacher that was constantly creating, you know, posters and um, I would have I would have my my students create album covers and all sorts of things and um, you know it was usually with paper um, we were pretty limited with uh, the resources that we had and um, just just being able to kind of take use creativity as a tool um, to have my students communicate 
their ideas um, beyond, you know, a five page paper or some sort of, uh, you know, history report. Um, I, I think it, it really it pushed students past this idea of like, oh man, I have homework or, oh man, I have to sit here and, and write something. Um, it, and it, it really kind of motivated them to kind of dig deep and start to illustrate or begin to, um, y- you know, be, just be kind of unleash their creativity. Um, and so that, that has actually really, um, inspired me to continue on with this mission of like creativity for all um because we i think i feel like we're really just providing a platform that enables creativity because everyone's creative um i feel like i've I've actually gotten a lot of comments where uh, some of my teacher friends are like oh well you're the creative one i'm not i i can't draw or i can't you know i can't take photos or i can't do these things um and it's really not about you yourself being creative and i actually think everyone is creative but i feel like that's a whole different topic it's about just enabling kids to be creative and having you know their own way of uh, telling their story and their narrative and um, kind of telling you what they learned and so that's that's kind of my my perspective on that yeah i you touched on so many of the things that i was <laughs> kind of mentioned i i think there's a lot of alignment around this that creativity i think sometimes gets painted into a corner a bit as analog art or you know, photography, videography, but really when I think about creativity for kids, it's about self-expression and allowing kids to have a pathway to share their voice. And um, creativity is, is a lot on top of those things about problem solving. And so I think, you know, one of the valuable things to talk about with creativity in kids is everybody's creative. If you're a doctor, you're creative. If you are a nurse, you're creative. If you're, um, you know, if you're in construction, you're creative, that everything requires you to, to think outside the box, to figure out how to tell your story. And, you know, I, I think that's a lot of what our tools enable students to do today. And I think that's why myself and, and everybody here and our whole team is so passionate about broadening access that it's not for kids and it's not just for kids in digital media. Um, there's a lot of creative skills that you have in your math classes and biology classes, and there's a lot of applicability there. Um, how do we provide tools that help, you know, give those pathways for expression? Yeah, at, at Adobe, we often say that everyone has a story to tell. And I really think there's a lot of truth to that. I think whether we were to ask young people or um, adults, if we were to ask them, are you creative? We might get a different answer than, do you have a point of view? Do you have an opinion about the world? Do you feel that you have some perspective about the way things are turning out? I think we'd get very different answers to those questions. And I think what, what we really feel empowered about with this team is democratizing communication and really seeing creativity and storytelling as the tools with which everyone can share what they believe, what they think, and why. Uh, Coming back to Jenna's piece about critical thinking, it's not just, well, what do you think about it? It's, okay, well, where did you come up with that? Where is the evidence? Where are the facts? Which I think, you know, um, is, is critical in today's world where we're constantly hearing differing points of view to be able to think about where did that point of view get formed? Um, so really, I guess, tying that in, 
um, to how do we bridge creativity into classrooms uh, beyond the art room. Um, sure, language arts and history, there's a story to tell there. Um, what about science or math? You know, those are things where we, we, at first, you might have to tilt your head to see it, but it really is about communicating data in a compelling way. And I think creativity certainly has a role to play in that. Um, and so just to, to wrap up here, I, I am empowered every day uh, when I sit at my desk to think about the world we might live in if everyone from a young age were empowered to share their ideas more powerfully and push boundaries. It just really invigorates me. Um, so, so that's what I think of. Yeah, that's really, really inspiring and um, exciting to, to think about. I want to know in terms of, okay, a, a career in, in this type of, in this type of area, in this space, do you guys have any tips or advice for those designing for educators and designing for, for student spaces? I am it's already evident that you're, you've become, you know, experts on, on the space from either your own experience um, all of you, or perhaps it's been um, through all the different probably conversations and observations and research you've done. But yeah, do you have any tips or advice for those designing for educators and students? I can start it off and um, say that my very first tip would be to actually go and be and sit into a classroom and, you know, be in that environment, get your head in that, you know, in that, whether it's that physical space or, you know, like, um, just just get, get your head in that in that um mindset of being in the classroom and how much little things like disruptions or um someone's different way of learning uh, affects the the way that you your product can be used um that's that's i think the very first thing that i would i would tell someone to do i completely agree i also think that it's really easy because a lot of people who end up working in ed tech had educations <laughs> of course. And so there's a level of familiar, familiarity that people feel. I went to school here as my experience. And so I think the biggest push that I would give people is sit in classrooms. There's all different types of classrooms. They look very different. They likely look very different than the classroom that you sat in. And, um, and it's really important to really experience it, to understand what um, the barriers are uh, for yourself. Perfect. Perfect. And I guess in a, in addition to that, um, when it comes to maybe finding a career in this space and, and hiring and, and all of those steps, do you have any resume or portfolio tips for UX designers seeking roles in education or at the edtech space? And, and maybe also any red flags that you sometimes see? Uh, yeah. So, so as someone who has had the opportunity to help hire talent, uh, things that I look for in a portfolio include a section where I can get a concise rundown of what I'm about to read. So tell me what you're going to tell me <laughs> before you tell me. Uh, and that concise summary can be something like, here's a rough overview of the process and here's what we wanted to do and the outcome of it. Uh, that can just be two or three sentences. I've also seen people format it so that you kind of get um, chunks of information at a glance. I, it, it's not so much about the format of how you do it. It's really just about that introduction. And it kind of come back, comes back to some of what um, I recall being taught in classrooms about writing a paper. You got to start with your introduction and your topic sentences before you can get to the meat. I think that as uh, experienced designers, we sometimes want to get right into it, but context is so important. 
so that's a big one. A second one would be, um, you know, don't be ashamed or bashful if you didn't get all of the data that you wanted to get. I hear this a lot from folks that are kind of still building their portfolio. Oh man, you know, I did this great work, but I didn't get to see it through to implementation or I got to see it through to implementation, but the analytics were, in, were instrumented in an incorrect way and we didn't get the data we were looking for. Those things happen. Um, that's part of life, whether it's a mistake or just something that was missed or you didn't have the opportunity. Um, fill in the blanks for the person who's looking at your portfolio, though. What might you have done? What are your wishes of what you hoped would have happened? What is the data that you would have sought to look at to validate whether your design achieved certain outcomes? Um, even if you didn't uh, check off all the boxes, tell me what those boxes were so I can get a sense of how your critical thinking skills are involved in the process. And then the last one is much more tactical. Um, make the visuals big, <laughs> we, especially for things where we have lots of flows going on and connection points, um, whether that's, you know, chunking up your screen so I can see them in sections or um, placing them in a light box that I can magnify or open in a new tab. It's so hard when I can tell that someone's put in such immense work into a piece of their project, but I simply can't see it at high enough fidelity to really understand what's going on. Uh, so those would be my top three tips as far as portfolios and applying to, to UX roles. Great. Thanks for sharing that. And Jenna, I, I, I'm going to ask you the, the same thing for, for product management. And I, I'm going to kind of give context too for this. So I've noticed that, and I've said this on other episodes, that um, a lot of educators moving into ed tech are looking at um, UX design and design roles and maybe not even fully aware of PM roles. And a part of that, honestly, I think is just the, the, the marketing out there for UX design um, boot camps and, and schooling. And it's kind of like it, it captures the attention before you even see kind of lay of the land and what else is out there. And um, I know that a lot of teachers, and I'm thinking of even specific colleagues, their skill set really uh, matches and fits well for this type of role. So I'd love for you to just share if you also had any tips or um, feedback on how to pursue a PM role. And maybe keeping former teachers also especially in mind or who, those who have a background in education. Yeah, I, I completely agree that the skill set you develop as a teacher translates really well to product management. Um, product management is actually a very large amorphous kind of role. So depending on your company, you might focus at different things. So you should certainly ask those questions. Um, but what I would encourage people to to do is, I think when I came out of the classroom, I was a bit insecure of my skill set coming into technology. But what I have learned over the years that I've been in tech is the skill set you develop in the classroom is so valuable. And so I would just encourage folks to lean into it. Um, you know, you know the classroom, you know that that group of users, unlike probably anybody you're going to talk to. Um, you're the expert coming into that interview. So I, I just encourage you to really look at the skill set you've had in the classroom and and make sure that you treat it what like what it is, which is, you know, pure expertise, really. Um, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's my advice. The one thing that I'll caveat is I think at least in 
ed tech or Silicon Valley, maybe um, there's a lot of technical jargon that gets used in product manager interviews. So you should read Cracking the PM Interview. That's a book about interviewing for PM roles. A lot of that is just language and vernacular and understanding when people ask you about things like frameworks. But um, I, I think at the heart of it, it's about just making sure you have the equipment and the vocabulary to communicate the skill set that you've already developed and, and work really, really hard to develop. Um, so, so dip a little bit into the, to the, you know, job specific language and then really sell your own skill set. Perfect. And, and you mentioned earlier that you originally moved into what kind of role was it first when you first transitioned over? I was in a support role, a support role, customer support. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've heard that from, from others as well, that that's tends to be, um, kind of a, a natural step is moving into customer support and then kind of, you know, getting more of a feel of, of what that company is like and what that space is like, and then kind of, um, maybe moving forward into seeking other roles or seeking a PM role. And that that's kind of sounds like what happened with you. Yeah, definitely. And I think for a lot of well, small, small, medium, and actually Adobe is really a big proponent of internal movement. Once you get your foot in the door, almost um, in customer support or sort of customer success roles are really natural because you're used to dealing or you're used to working with educators and administrators already. So that should should feel second nature. Um, and then get a sense for, okay, what are the different roles within my organization that I'm really interested in? build connections and build relationships, and then you can move internally. That is something that I took a lot of advantage of when I moved, when I was working at Clever. Um, And I think there's really, really good opportunities there across the board. Great. And I I do have one more kind of broader, big question, and um, it might be kind of hard to boil down, but, um, you know, we've been talking to people that are also having careers like yourselves, um, but speaking to teachers specifically and those that use different Adobe products and maybe they're part of the um, the, the creative efforts that are that are online and you know they share their work online. They're part of the educator exchange and they're listening right now. Is there anything that you would want to say to them, communicate to them, or um, um, yeah, just just share um, with with that audience, your your educator audience who are probably wondering, yeah, what is it, what is it like to design and, and run and run products for Adobe for the classroom? What is that? What is that like? It's probably where they listen. Well, I might have to give a two part answer and and let someone interject, but the very first thing I would say to any educator listening is thank you. Thank you for being an educator. Thank you for caring for young people in the world and Uh, shepherding them along on their journey. Um, That goes at any time in the world, but I would say especially now in the the global crisis we've all experienced together. I know every educator has been through twists and turns that they could not have anticipated. I'll just say that, um, you know, we're we're always looking to talk to you. Uh, So if, you know, if at any point you have feedback on the products that we've created or you have an idea for certain things that you'd like to see, I think, um, we're, we're always open to having those conversations and we're always open to your great feedback. And I'll also echo uh, just how, how much we appreciate educators, um, doing, you know, doing their thing right now, um, with distance learning and, you know, trying to, t- trying to manage everything. 
Uh, so again, big thank you. And then to, to try and take a, a crack at the other part of your question, um, as far as what's it like to design or create or build products inside of Adobe that are made for the classroom, uh, I, I'm going to show my cards a little bit. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> it can be fun. There are certainly days that are very busy and where we have to disagree and commit to something anyway or make hard choices um, or work within constraints. But it can also be really fun to, to see what happens. Um, and it, a highlight story for me is we have an integration already out in market um, with Canvas, a learning management system. And that was really the, the first big project I took on once I joined this team. And it took a lot of iteration, a lot of back and forth, not just with our internal engineering, but with our um, third party engineering partners over at Canvas. Um, we had to go back to the drawing board more than one time to make sure we were doing the best thing that we could as we continued to get more information. Um, and it was it was a big haul. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. But um, a few months after it launched, we were able to visit classrooms and see students and teachers use the integration. And I will never forget the moment when uh, a teacher pointed out, oh yeah, one of my students love, loves the simplicity of the turn-in. Why don't you show them how you do it? And all he had to do was click a button and his creative project was turned in in seconds. And it was just so meaningful for me to see that happen. So that's that's a little bit of what it's felt like for me. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good description. Sometimes the day-to-day -day feels like fairly normal work stuff. Um, to, to Lexi's point, hard decision, busy days, lots of meetings, things like that. But I think the benefit here is that there's something so rewarding about working on an education team where if you put something really good out, you're going to make a class full of kids happy. And an educator, I think there's something that just um, you can always celebrate if if that's your goal. I love it. Just so happy to be able to to talk with you. And thank you so much for just sharing um, your your time with us and kind of unpacking a little bit about what you do. Um, how can people just further connect with you and, and follow your work? I can go first because I'm, I'm pretty easy. You, you should connect with me on LinkedIn, Jenna James, Adobe. You should find me, product manager on education. I'm actually not present on social channels, so I'll I'll just do the LinkedIn. Yeah, and you can you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Uriel um, Sarate, experience designer at Adobe. Uh, you can also tweet at me or send me a message on Twitter at um, at uf zarate. I am also LinkedIn forward uh, LinkedIn.com slash in slash ux lexi. So that's a great way to connect with me. Uh, I'm not super active on Twitter, but it can be a great place to have a conversation, join a dialogue. I jump on there when I'm partaking in design community events or, or um, networking with educators. So for that uh, on Twitter, I'm L-E-X-I-N-8-R, Lexinator, just spelled kind of in a somewhat clever way. <laughs> that's how you can connect with me. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks for your time and just sharing with us and for our listeners. Check out the show notes for ways to connect with all three of our guests. I'll put links to um, some of the things that they mentioned and also ways to connect with them. There's an email series there exploring UX and education that you may find interesting. Link there as well. And please reach out if you have perspectives, stories to share. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at UX underscore edtech or on LinkedIn as Alicia Kwan. 
This is the UX of EdTech podcast, an exploration of user experience in the education technology space. I look forward to learning with you next time.